So what are you worried about today? Well, a year or two ago, an organization in the UK, the United Kingdom, did a survey over there, and they asked people in Great Britain, what are you afraid of? Here's the top 10 counting down. What are you worried about? Top 10. Your diet, job security, your rent, your credit card debt, your low energy level, overdrafts and loans. Number four was overall fitness. Number three was not enough money. Number two was growing old. And number one was being overweight. Oh, how about that? Three observations about that list. Number one, these things mostly fall into two categories, health and finances. Number two, these are universal human concerns. Number three, these are issues that will be with us as long as we live. Have you ever wondered how, how much time the average person spends worrying? Worrying? Well, the same survey asked people to estimate how much time they spend worrying. Well, the people who answered the survey said it, it came out on average people spend 14 hours a week worrying. That actually seems a little low to me right now. But that works out to 744 hours during the year that you spend worrying. In a lifetime, that's over 45,000 hours spent worrying. That equals 1,885 days in your lifetime spent doing nothing but worrying, which equals to 5.2 years out of the average human lifespan is spent in worrying. No wonder we have trouble sleeping. No wonder we feel under so much pressure. No wonder we find it hard to concentrate. So many things to worry about. It's a job, school, money, work, health, bills to pay, your husband, your wife, your ex-husband, your ex-wife, the in-laws, the kids, the grandkids. Any one thing we might be able to handle, or even two things. But it's when you get two or three or four of those concerns piled up together, that's when your knees start to buckle. It's interesting, if you go back and look at the English word worry, it comes from the old English, we're gone. Which meant, watch this, to strangle, to strangle. The strangling concerns of life that grab you around the neck and won't let you go. So I I got a note from a friend who has a grandchild with serious medical issues. And treating that grandchild has been like a roller coaster. Good news bad news, good news, bad news, this way and that way. Some of it very confusing. And my friend wrote me, talked about that, and then he included this sentence. I found that it squeezes my mind quite a bit while trying to do other things. We've all been there, haven't we? We're trying to, we're trying to do something, but we can't get the other stuff out of our mind. What is worry? Well, the dictionary calls it excessive concern for the affairs of life. The problem is not the concern. The problem is even trying to define what's excessive, right? How do you know when you've really gone across that line? Well, you've gone across that line when it is beginning to strangle you, when it is squeezing everything out. When it's the first thing in the morning and the last thing at night, and it's what you think about basically nonstop all day long. Worry 
True worry is a sin for two reasons. Number one, it displaces God in your life. Number two, it distracts you from what really matters. Worry, and we don't think of it this way, worry really is a form of idolatry because your worries displace God on the throne of the universe. You say to me, you don't know what I'm going through. Or you say, how can I be cheerful when my marriage is falling apart? God seems so far away. If you lived with my husband or my wife, you wouldn't be so happy either. My kids drive me nuts. I've got cancer. i got a lot to worry about. I'm stuck and I can't change. People have mistreated me, and I'm not going to be happy until I get even. If I had more money, I wouldn't worry as much. Worry and prayer are really opposites. They are really opposites. You can worry or you can pray, but you really can't do both equally at the same time. All that is background then. Let's go to our text, Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. I'm not worried about this one. You folks already know this one. We sing it. We cross-stitch it. We put it on posters. We make, put it on memes that fly around the internet. It's just lovely passage of the Word of God. There is, in these two verses, there is a prohibition, there's a precept, and there's a promise. Let's just take it that way. First, there is a prohibition. Verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. At this point, I much prefer the King James Version. Be anxious for nothing. Thank you. Be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about anything. Be anxious for nothing. And on a morning like this, I want to say, you got to be kidding. But I ask you a question. Where was Paul when he wrote these words? He was in jail, in Rome, chained to Roman guards. But no complaints, no worries, no doubts. He had plenty to complain about, but he said not a word. In fact, on the day that he wrote those words, be anxious for nothing, everything was dark to him. He expected death to come at any moment. He was at the mercy of Nero, a bloodthirsty dictator. How in the world is it we can be anxious for nothing? Now, you know, don't you? You know. Most of our worries are useless wastes of time. Okay, back to the surveys for a moment. Someone did the survey, right? Someone did the survey and asked this question. How many of the things we worry about actually come true? So they did whatever research they did. And this is what they found out. 40% never happened. 30% happened in the past, but didn't happen in the future. 12% were needless worries about health. 10% were what people called petty issues. Only 8% of what people worried about actually happened and actually were legitimate. 92% of your worry time, they say, is wasted energy. What is worry? It's stewing without doing. It's wrong because it assumes that God can't take care of you. He promised to take care of you, but Lord, I don't believe Your word, I don't think you can take care of me, 
So I'm going to take matters into my own hands. But God sees the whole picture. What's the key word there? Be anxious for nothing. It's not to be anxious. It's nothing. What does nothing mean? Nothing means nothing. I believe I got that from the great Bible teacher, J. Vernon McGee. You can hear him saying that too. Nothing means nothing. Nothing means nothing. It's an exclusive word. It leaves out everything. Worry about nothing, Paul says, because you pray about everything. So what is worry then in the Christian life? Worry is rat poison to the Christian life. It's rat poison. Now, why this command? Number one, worry accomplishes nothing. It adds nothing to life. Number two, worry makes us mind readers and false prophets. We think we can tell what other people are thinking about us. Number three, it distracts us from our legitimate duties. Number four, it wears us out. Number five, it wrecks our testimony. And I wrote this down, by the way, a number of weeks ago. Number six, worry is a highly contagious virus. Number seven, worry is selfish. What is worry? Someone said worry is the interest paid on borrowed troubles. It puts question marks where God put periods. Worry is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but won't get you anywhere. And there is a Jewish proverb that says, worms eat you when you're dead. Worries eat you when you're alive. Just go home and ponder that one for a while. That's the prohibition. We are not to worry. Be anxious for nothing. Here's the precept then. Here's the positive side of it. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Paul has three pieces of advice for those who worry. A, pray about everything. In everything by prayer. Pray with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. C, pray with expectation. Present your request to God. An old hymn says it this way. Thou art coming to a king. Large petitions with thee bring. For his grace and power are such. None can ever ask too much. How then? How then biblically are we to deal with the things that worry us? Well, not by trying harder. That doesn't work. Not by pretending they don't exist. That doesn't work. Not by PMA, positive mental attitude. No, no, no. Said another way, First Peter 5, 7, cast all your cares upon him for he cares for you. Paul gives us here four quick steps. He says in everything by prayer. First, by prayer. He uses, he, he, he uses three different expressions to say the same thing. Number one is, he says, by prayer. It's a Greek word that means face to face. Face to face. Get face to face with God. That speaks to the attitude of the heart. Prayer begins with a mood, if you will, not with our words. Prayer is to the spiritual life what breathing is to the body. So over there in the executive suites where Marlene and I are staying, they're, they're, they've put up a little plaque on the wall. And I, I think they did it so we would see it. You would see it every time you go out of the, out of the room. And, and I was sitting there and early this morning was going to go for a walk. And there it was up there. It says, the Holy Spirit prays for us. When we don't have the words, 
We don't have the words. Right now, honestly, I'm glad of that. On a day like today, I'm really glad about that. I don't have to get the words right. I don't even have to say any words at all. If all I do is cry out, Oh God, Oh Jesus, Oh God, Oh Jesus, the Holy Spirit fills in everything else. Everything else. I think in some ways, the greatest prayers I've ever prayed have been that kind of prayer. In desperate moments, Oh God, Oh Jesus. I I get such comfort from that verse. In the same way, verse Romans 8, 26, same way the Holy Spirit helps in our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we ought. Have you ever been in a situation where you tried to pray and you couldn't get it out? Have you ever been in a, have you ever been in a situation where you were so tired you couldn't form the words? Have you ever been in a situation where you're so scared? Oh God, oh Jesus was all you could ever say. Let me ask you this. Have you ever seen a situation involving your loved ones that was so fouled up, so messed up, so mixed up, so turned upside down that you almost had to say, Jesus, if if you were standing right here, this thing is so messed up. I don't even know what to ask you to do. That's okay. That's okay. In that moment, in that moment, when we don't know what to say, when we are too tired, too emotional, too racked up, too, too, too drugged up, when, when we don't know what to say, the Holy Spirit comes and He prays for us. So that first word sort of alludes to that. Just have your heart turned toward the Lord, face to face to face. Lord, you know. Lord, you know. You know. I, I, I don't even, I don't know. You know. That's the first word, prayer. And then there's the second word is petition uh, or supplication, if you will. That's, that has the idea of begging. Begging. Begging God for what you need. Sometimes when people come and talk to me and ask me to pray for them, often I will say, look, suppose Jesus were standing here right now. What would you ask him for? Not me. What if it was Jesus, son of God? What would you ask him for? I, I love that story of blind Bartimaeus begging, begging near the entrance to the gates of Jericho. And he heard that Jesus was passing by blind, hopeless, hopeless. But he heard that Jesus was coming and there was a great crowd and somebody said, he's here, he's here, he's here. And blind part of Maeus cried out, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. You remember what the story says? Jesus stopped and said, what do you want me to do for you? Remember what Bartimaeus said? He said, Rabbi, I want to see. Wow, that's good. Tell the Lord what you know. Don't wait for things to get better. Take your little cares to him before they become big cares. So I have told friends this. I now tell you this. If you need a miracle 
ask for one. There's no extra charge for a big request. Sometimes we get scared. We think we're going to only ask for... No, ask for whatever you need. If it's a miracle you need, and we all need miracles from time to time, go ahead and ask for one. No extra charge for really big requests. So by prayer, by petition. Petition. Third, with thanksgiving. Here is the antidote to anxiety. Here's the cure for care. Here's the way out of worry. Because worry and gratitude cannot coexist. And I have to say... I, I want to publicly say this. I have learned more about this from my wife than from anyone else in the world. Because she talks to me about this often. Because between the two of us, she is in charge of the Thanksgiving and I am in charge of all the complaining and grousing and worrying about life. These are gifts, see? She is good at what she does, and I'm quite gifted at what I do. And so if there's any worrying or upsetness to be done, I'm the one who's going to do it and, 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 and spend hours. Honey, can't you just be thankful? Can't you just be grateful? I have learned, and I'm learning so much from her about this, because that comes that comes into her heart, and she looks for God's fingerprints. She, she says, look, just look. Look around. Look how good God has been to us. She's always right about that. So I'm just saying worry and gratitude, they can't coexist. Sing a song, quote a promise, play some music. Remember God's goodness. You want a good suggestion? Hang out with hopeful people. There's enough grumpy people in the world. We don't have to give them the time of day. Hang out with hopeful people. An ungrateful heart is a cold heart. Thanksgiving melts the icebergs. Ingratitude destroys the joy of the Lord. Gratitude brings it back. So by prayer, by petition, with thanksgiving, then when he says, finally, let your requests be made known to God. This is just a, a very broad term. It covers the whole waterfront. And it certainly incur, in, includes all those late night phone calls. I was talking just a few minutes ago with uh, Rich Andrews, who's head over the ministry here in Florida. He was up late last night, up late. We got our BI kids over in Portugal. We got to get them back. We got to get them back. We got to get them back now, not tomorrow. We got to get them back now. And we are, we are, we're going to get them back. We're going to get them back. But Rich was up late last night working on that. That's urgent. That's real. That moves it from the headlines to something very real to us here. Let your request. Tell God every detail. Some of you may know the song. I sing along whenever I hear it. Gospel song. Jesus on the main line. Tell him what you want. Jesus on the main line. Tell him what you want. If you are in trouble, tell him what you want. If you are in trouble, tell him what you want. If you are in trouble, tell him what you want. Tell him, tell him, tell him what you want. If you are sick and want to get better, tell him what you want. If you are sick and you want to get better, tell him what you want. If you are sick and want to get better, tell him what you want. Tell him, 
Tell him, tell him what you want. Take your worries, turn them into prayers. Corey Tin Boom said it this way, look around and be distressed. Look inside and be depressed. Look at Jesus and be at rest. There's a prohibition. There's a precept. One final thing and we're done. There's the great promise. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding. You know what that means? We don't even know what it is. You know what it is when you have it, right? You can't define it. You can't prove it. You can't explain it in some kind of scientific formula, right? But you know what it is when the Holy Spirit comes and when everybody else around you is going nuts, falling apart, you're unreasonably calm. And when even through your tears, you have the joy of the Lord. That's the peace of God that passes all understanding. That, the Paul says, will guard your hearts. Your mind's in Christ Jesus. When you take your burdens to the Lord, he replaces them with something much greater. The peace that passes all understanding. All right. All right. Uh, That's a military term. It means to garrison. It means to have guards at the gate. I've been coming down here for 28 years now, at least. And this week, it's the first time I've ever seen guards at the gate. They stopped me yesterday because I didn't have that little thing on my, you know, the rearview mirror. It had fallen off. The guards were doing their job. The peace of God will stand guard while the waves roll and crash over you. While trouble comes to visit you, the peace of God will give you rest. How? Up from bitterness, up from despair. Up from anger, up from compromise, up from dishonesty, up from greed, up from pessimism, up from every kind of anxiety and every sort of worry. When we lay hold of Jesus by faith, the peace of God comes and stands guard over our hearts. Here's the big promise. You can have the peace of God today. Are you worried about your kids? You can have the peace of God. Grandkids, you can have the peace of God. Are you worried about that test result from the doctor? You can have the peace of God. Are you worried about this coronavirus? Well, there's a lot to think about. You can have the peace of God. You can have it if you want it. That's the big promise from God. The Lord issues the same promise to all of us. Take your worries, take your cares, take your burdens, take your anxieties, and give them to me. He will personally carry all our worries. Question, why should we lug that heavy weight when Jesus will do it for us? Why should we cling to our problems when the Lord of heaven and earth will do it for us? Why should we stagger under that load when our Lord says, let me carry that for you? So I was preaching on this, casting all your cares on him. And I had a a woman come up to me afterwards and she said, Pastor Ray, I agree with everything you said. She said, my problem is I cast all my cares on the Lord in the evening and I take them back in the morning. (laughs) I believe that great man 
Charles Tinley gave us the answer. If the world from you withhold of its silver and its gold, and you have to get along with meager fare, just remember in his word how he feeds the little bird. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. Leave it there. Leave it there. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. If you trust and never doubt, he will surely bring you out. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. So then, will things get worse? Fear not. Will I lose my health? Fear not. Will I get cancer? Fear not. Will I keep my job? Fear not. Will my loved ones undergo hardship? Fear not. Will my investments collapse? Fear not. They're already leaking all over the place, by the way. (laughs) Will I run out of money this year? Fear not. Will tragedy strike my family? Fear not. Will my children disappoint me? Fear not. Will others ridicule my faith? Fear not. Will my cherished plans come to nothing? Fear not. Will my dreams turn to ashes? Fear not. Will God himself forsake me? Fear not. Will I face death soon? Fear not. Fear not. Why? Because we have a great future because we have a great God. We have a great future because we have a great God. That's a promise you can take to the bank. As the old chorus says, cheer up, ye saints of God. There's nothing to worry about, nothing to make you feel afraid, nothing to make you doubt. Remember, Jesus never fails, so why not trust him and shout? You'll be sorry you worried at all tomorrow morning. Let's pray. Lord, we do not ask for a lighter load, but we do pray for stronger shoulders. Set us free from worry that strangles us from care that consumes us, from anxiety that overwhelms us. Help us to cast our cares on you and then to leave them there. May we go from this place with happy hearts, knowing that you will carry our burdens so that we don't have to. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. This podcast is made possible through the support of listeners like you. Come see us on the internet at www.keepbelieving.com. We'd love to hear from you this week. Join us for the next podcast from Keep Believing Ministries.